Welcome to The Gathering Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So as we go into the message here today, I want to do what is pretty common at the end of the year. You look back and you you look over the year and you kind of think about all the things that have happened. And, and generally, if we do this, we only look at the highlights or we try to only look at the highlights, like especially if we're putting together one of those collages that you put on Facebook or Instagram. It's like only the pictures that you wanted people to see, right? Only the good things that happen. And so we, we run through that and we review what has happened. And, and we're going to do that today, except we're not going to do that with our own lives in 2023. We're going to look back to the book of Exodus, and we're going to review this really important year in the life of the Hebrew people. Uh, But we're not going to only look at the highlights. We're going to look at what was actually happening. And, And I just thought it was so amazing. In the first service... Pastor Christian came up to do the transition, and, and he had this word on his heart, and he mentioned it again in, in this service, this word of reorienting. And that word so specifically ties into what we're talking about here today, and I'm really excited to get into this message as we go back to the book of Exodus. Uh, but much the same as when you look at one of those highlight videos, things go really fast, I'm going to have to touch on some things really quickly in the book of Exodus. Can we do that together today? Okay, so we get to the book of Exodus, chapter 1, and this is coming out of Genesis, where there has been Adam and Eve, there has been Noah, there has been Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we find at the end of the book of Genesis this man named Joseph. Joseph, if you remember, the one with the coat of many colors, was sold into slavery by his brothers. He goes into slavery, he goes through the kingdom, and he finds himself second command in all of Egypt. But we get to the end of Genesis, and Joseph has died, and we get to the beginning of the book of Exodus. And it says that there is a king that is raised up in that time, but he does not know Joseph. He does not remember the things that Joseph has done for their nation. And so he looks at the Hebrew people, and he sees that they are growing, that they are multiplying, that they are becoming greater in number and strength. And he says, this is a problem. Because if they continue to grow and we get into battle, well, they're just going to jump ship and go with the other side and we're going to be defeated. So we need to do something about this. So they begin to oppress the Hebrew people. Then we continue to read this story and we find this young baby that is born and his name is Moses. Moses is the would-be deliverer that would come to to bring the people out of Egypt, but at this point, he's only a baby. The the king, Pharaoh, he gives an edict to kill all the young children. I just find this in Scripture when I look at this, that when the devil starts to get threatened, he starts to kill babies. We see this in the time of Jesus. We see this, unfortunately, in our world right now, where millions and millions of children have been murdered. And I believe it's because the devil, the enemy, is worried about what God is going to do. And so we we see this play out in Scripture time and time again. Well, Moses actually is saved miraculously. He grows up in the Pharaoh's home. He goes away because he does something stupid. If you want to read, you can read in, in the story. But then he comes back and God speaks to him out of a burning bush. He calls Moses and he tells him, you're going to go before Pharaoh and you're going to deliver a very specific message to the Pharaoh. It's going to sound something like, let my people go. And so we find this in Exodus chapter 5. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, 
And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Chapter 7 through 12, we find that there are plagues that God is sending to the people of Egypt. And finally, at the end of it, we find ourselves in Passover. And Pharaoh is finally like, okay, guys, I've had enough. Get out of here. Like, it's time for you guys to go. You're causing me too many headaches. This is enough. Time for you to go. So Moses is gathering the people. It's the Passover. And in chapter 13 is where we pick this up with the Hebrew people ready to leave the land of Egypt. You see, the Hebrew people, just for some context, they've been through a lot. They've been through the lows of being enslaved. The excitement of Moses coming and saying, okay, we're going to get out of here. The lows again of, of having the Pharaoh put more tax and restriction on them as far as you're going to make the bricks, but we're not going to give you the hay. There's been these highs and these lows, but now they find themselves in this place on their way out of Egypt. But the problem is between them and the promise of God, there is something called the Red Sea. We're familiar with this story, right? So, so God leads the Hebrew people right up to the Red Sea. Now, let's just stop here for a second, because if we remember the account last week of Joseph and Mary, what we remember is that God doesn't always lead us the, the way that would be most convenient, and he doesn't always remove the obstacles from our way, does he? Joseph and Mary, they're following God's plan for their lives. They're being obedient, and yet they are running away from Herod as he tries to kill them, and they're in the most uh, unwelcome of circumstances. Well, the Israelites would be in the same place. They're out of Egypt, and now they have come up against the Red Sea, and there's no way for them to get across. So let's pick this up in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see the war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Okay, so as I'm reading this and, I, and we're hearing some of this instruction, I wanted to have a little bit of a visual. So if we can put that map on the screen here today, what we see is that for the people of Israel who were in Egypt over here on the left, that the fastest way for them to get from where they were to where ultimately God was bringing them, you see Jericho up on the top right, would have been this blue line straight across. But how does God lead them instead? He leads them south, down through the wilderness, all the way over here to the Red Sea. The Red Sea is not on the way to the promised land. The Red Sea, the story that we read, it was not like, okay, I'm here in Egypt, the promised land is there, and here's the Red Sea. God had to lead them completely out of the way in order to come up to this obstacle. But it says that he did it because, well, he knew the Hebrew people, and he knew that if they went directly from Egypt into battle with the Philistines, they would have lost heart, and they would have desired to go back to the land of Egypt. Now, even though God leads them around, guess what the Hebrew people do as soon as they get to the Red Sea? They ask to go back to Egypt. They say, weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you could have left us there? 
but now you bring us to this place to die? You see, I I know we look back sometimes at the Hebrew people and we judge them and we say, how could they be so ridiculous? To go into a place where God has just delivered them out of Egypt, performed all these miracles, and now the first obstacle that they come against, that God has led them to, by the way, with fire at night and a cloud in the daytime, that their first thing is, let's go back into slavery. But can I tell you something today? That is often very much the way that we respond when there are obstacles in our way. God, I have decided to follow you. I'm going to pursue you up until the moment where I come to an obstacle and then I'm going to wonder why I ever bothered in the first place. Because at least when I was living my own life, I got to call my own shots and I didn't have all these same problems. I'm going to take that silence as an admission of guilt. (laughs) This often is us when we choose what is comfortable over the steps of faith needed to overcome the obstacle in front of us. The people of Israel knew of God. But when they came up to the challenge, when they saw a need to believe in a deeper level, they showed that they didn't really know who God was. You see, knowing about God and actually knowing God They're not the same thing. Hearing stories about God, about how amazing He is, and then having to walk that faith out in your own life, not always the same thing, are they? You see, for the Hebrew people, they have come to this place led by God. I have definitely such a great appreciation for being led by the Spirit, but never in my life have I seen a cloud of fire in the middle of the night leading me this way. Have you? Okay, so they're led to this place. They're led to the Red Sea. It says in Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 22, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to them, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Can I paraphrase this for a second? Shut up. <laughs> Guys, do you see what God has done? Do you see where He's led us? Stop trying to ruin it by talking and by trying to use your own logic and your own understanding. That's enough. And then God follows up this command to be silent, and God says to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Sit down, shut up, and let's go. This is what I'm calling you into. Have you not seen everything that I just did? Did you not see that I overcame the greatest military and the greatest nation on earth to bring you out to this place? I am going to be the one that brings you what you need. Lift up your staff, he says to Moses, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. 
And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. I just am sensing something in this. It's not in my notes here today. There's something we know that Egypt represents in the Bible. It's the land of provision and strength of the world. But what God was saying was that in this time, I am going to overcome them so that everyone else around is going to realize that I am God. Can I suggest to you here today that in our nation and in this world right now, there are a lot of powers, there are a lot of people who would say, we're the ones that are calling the shot. And I believe that God is going to, in this time, raise up the body of believers who are going to stand firm on the truth, and we're going to see the kingdoms of this world have to recognize who God is. The angel of the Lord God, who had been leading the people, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and the Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. Moses stretched out his hand and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. Just remember this phrase. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord, and in his servant Moses. Now, if we don't know this story very well at this point, we would imagine that the next chapter would sound something like, and they went into the land of promise, and they lived happily ever after. They saw God come through for them, deliver them from Egypt, crush their enemy, and bring them across on dry ground, which was between 12 and 20 miles if it was the narrow part of the Red Sea. And, and you figure at this point, they're like, okay, God, we got it. We trust you now. But as they enter into the wilderness, what we soon find is that they really start to show what they believe to be true about God. They've been through all of these incredible miracles coming out of Egypt, and yet as soon as there's a challenge again, guess what their response is? To complain. Exodus 16 verses 2 and 3, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we would have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. What does God do? He feeds them. They complain again in chapter 17 that the water they have isn't good, what does God do? He fixes the water. Every time they come to a challenge, they show what they really believe to be true about God. They complain, they murmur, they look back to the circumstances instead of God, and yet God continues to faithfully take care of them. But I bet if you would have asked them in that moment what they thought about God, they would have given you the right answer. 
I bet you that if you walked and talked to any of these Hebrew people, they would have told you about the incredible things that God had done right up until the moment where they were complaining about what they didn't have. They knew the truth. They, they saw it firsthand. They experienced it in their own lives. And a lot of times, that can be us. We have seen God. We've seen Him work. We've seen Him come through for us. And yet, in the moments where we come up against the, the obstacle and the challenge, well, even though we know that He is who He says that He is, how often do we go back into a place of complaining instead? Looking at our own strength. You know, those two things are, are like connected to each other. Complaining and going back to our own strength. Like complaining like, man, this didn't work the way that I wanted to. Now I got to go figure something out or blaming somebody else. But God continued to come through for them. And then in Exodus 19, he even gives them a new covenant. He says uh, in, in 19, Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that Moses was to speak to the people of Israel. And once again, they gave the right answer. They were very good at being good Christian church folk. God, whatever you say, we are going to do. Three different times in chapter 19, 8, in verses 24, 3, and 24, 7, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. They're saying the right things. They're, they're professing, we do believe in what you've said, God. We're going to trust you in this. But I have to say again, there is a difference between knowing what God has done, believing that what He has said is true, and then actually living that reality out in our lives. There is a difference. These were the people that experienced God on such a high level, and yet they never experienced God for themselves. There's a difference between agreeing with God, saying we're going to be obedient, and actually putting our trust in Him. Because as we're going to see as we continue this story, God then gives them an opportunity to experience him like they never have before. God speaks to Moses and says, I'm going to invite the whole congregation to come near and to experience me. And we read this in Exodus chapter 19, verses 9 through 11. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all of the people. This is an incredible invitation. This is the God of the universe saying to his creation, you've been created in the image and likeness of me. Now you're going to get to experience who I really am. You are the creator, uh, creation. I am the creator. I'm going to invite you to experience me, to actually, uh, no one else on earth gets to do this. It's just the Hebrew people. It's a VIP list and you guys are the only ones on it. You would think that there would be some excitement in this. Well, they do what they're supposed to do. They prepare themselves until they actually start to see what this is going to look like. 
Verses 16 through 19. On the morning of the third day, after they had prepared themselves, there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Just hear those words for a second. He brought them out of the camp to meet God. He brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of false provision, to come out into the wilderness and to experience who he was. He wanted them to not just know the stories, but to know the God behind them. He wanted to prepare them and equip them so that when they came to the next battle, the next challenge, the next difficulty, that they weren't going to be operating on the faith of somebody else, but that they would have seen and known him for themselves. But as we read this, we see that God, as he often does, did not come in the way that they would have liked, in the way that they would have expected. Because it says that they trembled they, they were afraid. Moses brought the people out to the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Just picture this, Okay. Like, I want to be hard on the Israelites too, but you're standing there in front of this mountain and God himself has come down and everything's on fire. It's shaking. It's loud. It's noisy. It's not what they wanted. They wanted the angels to come down in like this little parade like at Disney World and and God would be sitting on his float waving to the people as he went by. But God came down and said, no, I want you to know me and I want you to know me for real. That I am not this cushy God that wants to placate to your emotions and your feelings. I want you to know that I'm the God of power. Because when they went into the land of promise, there was going to be battles that needed to be fought. And it wasn't going to be the God that was just going to be on the cloud that was going to win the battle. It was the God of power that was going to show up and show up big for them. But listen to their response. Verse 18 through 21. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. The greatest invitation that had been given. And they said, no, we can't do it. Moses, we are going to relegate our our authority. You be our proxy. You go to God. You come talk to us because we can't do it on our own. But Moses, knowing God, this was the difference. They knew of God. Moses knew God. And Moses said to them, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. He says two things in this. Don't be afraid, but you better be fearful. Don't be fearful, but you better be in fear of God. Like, there is a fear 
that I don't want you to step into, right? And, and these two words, I looked them up in the Hebrew just to see if they were like completely different words. They have the same root word, right? Which means that he's saying, don't be afraid. Don't allow fear to stop you from entering into this place of invitation with God. But understand that you need to be in holy and awe and reverence before this God to understand who he is. There are two options when we receive an invitation from God, which often comes from a place that we did not ask for and we don't like the way it looks. We can be afraid and we can run away, or we can actually allow the fear, the reverence, the respect, the awe for who God is to actually draw us in closer to Him. He says, I want you to to recognize that the fear is meant to be in front of you so that you may not sin. There was something about what God was doing in this moment that was going to separate those who really wanted him from those who just wanted to be comfortable off to the side. And he said, I want you to be in a place where you recognize and respect and you see God for who he is in all of his power. But it says the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. I have to say, I think this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. The people stood far off. But what did Moses do? He drew near to the darkness because that's where God was. Moses knew something that they didn't know. That even in the place where it seemed to be the the craziest and and the place of of great fear and and the place of uncertainty and the place of not knowing what's going to happen next, it didn't matter as long as God was there. See, Moses realized that his comfort did not matter very much to God at all. The Hebrew people wanted it to look a certain way. They wanted to receive him in a certain way, but as soon as it didn't happen, we can't do it. But Moses went into the place of darkness because that's where God was. See, he saw the invitation and he walked directly into it. When the people had crossed the Red Sea, it did say once again, the people feared the Lord and they believed in him. Moses says, okay, do not fear, but the fear of God is the very thing that you need in this moment. We have to know today that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we are called to walk in holy reverence of the perfect God that we serve. And we need to be able to recognize the invitation when it's placed in front of us. You see, one fear, once again, will keep us at a distance. The other fear, the reverence, invites us into deeper relationship with him. But for the Hebrew people, they said, no, you go, come back, and then we'll listen. See, when it's on our terms, when it's comfortable for us, that's when we want to stay in that place to comprehend it. But Moses knew what God was doing. Moses was saying to them, listen, playtime is now over. The place of experiencing God from afar, that's not what he wants. If you're going to enter into the land that he has called us into, you are going to need to rely on who I really am and not your own understanding. If you're going to be my people and represent me, you are going to need to know me. 
God goes on to give them the Ten Commandments as Moses goes up to the mountain. And what I believe that God was doing was he was trying to prepare them to be obedient to what he had called them to do. When I read this story, I see that if the Hebrew people would have actually responded to that invitation and said yes to go to the mountain to meet him, that there never would have been a golden calf. But they didn't go to see him. What I believe to be true is that when the spies went into the land of promise, that if they had received God, if they had gone to meet him, that when the spies came back, guess what report would have been given and guess report would have been believed? The one about who God is. The one about who he actually is. The the one about the power of God because they would have experienced God for themselves. The The story, however, was that they wanted to stay comfortable. They were content to stay with the understanding of God that they had up to that point. The thing that we have to look at from this story as we start to see ourselves in it is that the more that we want to stay comfortable, the more that we are going to stay satisfied with the status quo. The more that we want to stay in a place where it all makes sense to us, it's going to be the places where we return back to what we've always done seeing the same results that we've always seen. But the Hebrew people, they failed to understand what laid ahead of them. But Moses did not. He drew into the thick darkness where God was. When we read this account here, we have to see the need for each one of us to walk in reverence and awe of who God actually is. And when we do this, what happens is God is able to start to push us from the playground into the battlefield. But what I know to be true is that right now in the time that we are living in, most of the church is still left on the playground. I read a statistic that said a couple years ago that when asked the question, what is your faith? 70% of America claimed that they were Christians following after Jesus. Now, when you look around at the world we live in right now and in our nation, is there any indication that 70% of our nation believes and trusts in God? You see, we live in a time right now where people are more content to identify as something than to actually walk in the reality of who God has made them to be. We live in a time right now where it's easy to identify as a Christian when there are no real standards being put in place to what being a Christian actually means. We live in a time where we also want to stand away from the actual truth of the Word of God and we want other people to tell us what He has said because actually stepping into this place and embracing a deep relationship with God is scary. So we have a nation filled with churches who who speak words to try to make people feel better about where they are instead of challenging them and calling them to come into a greater place of faith and understanding of who God actually is. We follow suit with the Hebrew people and we say, God, whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. Until it gets uncomfortable and then I'm going to revert back to form. But I need to tell you, that this kind of Christianity is not going to cut it anymore. Second-hand Jesus 
is not going to cut it anymore. Believing in a God because someone else has told us about him. It's not going to cut it anymore. Church on Sunday morning and then living like everybody else on Sunday evening, it's not going to work anymore. Church on Sunday and then going to work on Monday and acting like every single other person that you interact with, sounding just like them, using the same words, the same terminology, the same belief system, watching and listening to the same things that they're watching and listening to, it's not going to cut it anymore. You see, this is supposed to be a message of hope as we enter into 2024, but it's only a hope when we know the God that we actually serve and we are not looking at him based on the understanding of what we want to be true, of what we want to believe about him, about who we think that he is based off what somebody else has said. Instead of understanding that the God of the Bible is the God that we are meant to serve, that his word is the first and the foremost. I don't want to be known as a church that is a comfortable place to come and sit and live however you want when God has given us a standard to follow. Now that doesn't mean for a second that we don't walk in complete grace understanding where all of us have come from. Recognizing that the only power to draw near to Him is because He has made a way through His death and His resurrection. But there has to be a willingness on our part To say, I'm not going to play church anymore, but when I come to God, I'm going to come with a willingness to allow Him to examine me and to bring the changes that are necessary so that I can look more like Him instead of who I think that I should be or who I want to be. When I was praying about this service here this morning, I was thinking about this word, and I'm not one that really likes to have the one word for the new year. I'm sure that there are a lot of them that are great and accurate. I really, I can can go with them as long as they don't rhyme. If they start to collaborate with the new year, then I'm like, okay, I, I don't know about that anymore. I'm sure some of them have been good. But as I prayed for this message, I very clearly sensed the word redefine. We know what it is to define something, to give it a definition, right? If we define something, we're saying, this is what this thing is. This is what this word means. But for the church of America, the church of this world, we are in a place where we need to redefine the way that we see God, the way that we know him, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have been given a definition based on a whole lot of different things. But in this time, God is calling us to redefine. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it doesn't mean that our understanding of him stays in the same place. As we, it, as we press deeper into relationship with him, our understanding of who, she, who he is should constantly be growing and deepening and changing the way we see ourselves and him. We are in a place where we need to define God based off of what he says instead of what we think and instead of what we want to be true. Because the gospel is not meant to leave us where we are. It is meant to be all-encompassing, every area of our life. It is meant to transform us. It's meant to make disciples. It's meant to be life-changing. It's meant to be that when we encounter the God of the universe, the King of the world, and the Spirit, that Jesus gave to us to lead us and to guide us into all truth, that our life doesn't look the same that it used to. This is the challenge that's being laid out for the church right now. 
I believe there are going to be incredible things in the years to come. I believe that God is going to move in ways that we have never seen before. But I also believe this with every fiber of my being, that unless we see him for who he really is, we are not positioned to actually receive what he's giving to us because we're not stepping into the faith that he's called us to walk into. We need to be able to recognize that the God of America needs to be redefined in the eyes of our nation. The church needs to have our understanding of God redefined. And in any place that we have grown comfortable with someone else's faith in place of our own, we must have our understanding of God redefined.